So you drafted a fantasy football team. Big deal. Ooh, wow. Good job. Drafting is only half the battle. A month from now, you're going to wake up, check your team, and see that your three best players are hurt. Now what? You need to play the waivers, make trades, know who to start. And that's what we're here for. We're coming to you four times a week during the regular season to give you everything you need to win your league and dominate your group chat. Search for the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere, check it. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah, yeah. Welcome into episode 24 of the Full Goal Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ring. And as always, Spotify is the gang. And speaking of the gang, I'm a new gang member uh, and a, a guy who's been a long time. Well, I don't know if it's a long time, but he's he's uh, one of the head honchos here. I'm probably putting too much sauce on his name, but this is a guy who, when I first jumped on, a lot of my friends were excited about. And they were like, oh, you're going to be hanging out with Big Waz. And I'm like, uh, sure, I, I hope so. So today, we're going to hang out with Big Waz. Wozny Lambre uh, is, is not just a culture and NBA writer for The Ringer and Spotify, but he's also on the pod Count the Dings. So Wozni and I got into not only the Lakers and the Knicks and the Bucks and all the other teams around the NBA, but we definitely got into the Bulls and what Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, and Lonzo Ball have ahead of them, as well as Reasonable Doubt. Yeah, we got some Jay-Z talk in there as well. So all things sports, culture, and music right here for you. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Full Goal with Jason Goff. All right, joining the Full Goal podcast with Jason Goff is, is a man that a lot of my friends, like when I tell them that I am hanging out with Wozni Lambert, it's going to be 
gonna be some issues, you know, because I'm, I, I'm already, I'm already getting all the can you get me Bulls tickets calls that one man can get. But I don't know what it is, Waz. But I feel like ever since I jumped onto this platform, like my my friends think I'm a whole hell of a lot cooler, and I know now, you know, yeah. after Dollar Bill, you know, jumping on the pod early on, <laughs> calling himself Bill from LA, and now you, I, I, I don't know about you, but my my street cred in these ringer streets are going up. Thanks for joining us, man. I truly appreciate. Hey. Hey, I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I didn't join the company too too much um, longer than you have. Uh, and, yeah, believe me, people people want to bend my ear about so much more <laughs> because of my proximity to, to the big kahuna. <laughs> I'm just like, guys, it's, uh, it's just another job. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all it is, man. Uh, so, so I got to ask you what a lot of people have been asking me. Are the Bulls for real? Because sometimes, you know, we, we like to call it in this city out of town stupid when people watch a team for one game and then they have these, like, you know, these referendums on what they saw in 48 minutes as opposed to watching them play in and play out as regular fans do. Uh, but on the on the national stage and the games that you flip around to, I saw you talking about John Collins the other day mm -hmm. and, you know, the Atlanta Hawks and what they got brewing. And, and of course, the, the Knicks, uh, definitely, my man Tom Thibodeau is out there doing work. But what are you saying? Saying and what are the people that you're close to saying about this Bulls outfit? You know, for me, with the Bulls is one. There's, it's obvious they're way better than they were before they pulled the Vooch trade, right? Like that team was kind of rudderless and had and had no point, no no north star. It was like, all right, we're trying to win, but we're clearly failing at it, right? Um, like for instance, Oklahoma City. Everybody understands they were losing. They're trying to get more young guys. They have yeah. all these picks for the future. They're building towards something. I think the Bulls, before they pulled that trade last season, was a team that claimed to be wanting to win, but they stunk up the joy. And then last season when they pulled the trade, it's not like it was, you know, successful right, right away. And, you know, full disclosure to people before I, you know, basically answer your question in a long-winded way, Lonzo Ball and... Alex Caruso are two of my favorite guys in the league to watch. I've been kind of part of their stand club <laughs> for a few years now, right? Um, I know on the internet, people who aren't Lakers fans were rolling their eyes at the whole Caruso sanity thing where Caruso was getting all this attention and hype online because Lakers fandom is so omnipresent online. Um, but I think Bulls fans are now saying, like, this dude is the real deal. His instincts on defense are on a level that of anybody in the league, I would say, yeah. as far as his his smarts, his instincts. Obviously, he's incredible in transition. And he's gotten better on the offensive end. He's not a killer. He's not Allen Iverson. But he's a good enough offensive player where he's nowhere close to being a minus. And then, of course, Lonzo Ball, like, the nature of his game is that, like, he changes how your team looks. Just his energy with the ball, um, transition, everybody understands to cut. Everybody understands he's going to be cutting and moving. I think he just adds a whole different dynamic to your team. And then, of course, DeMar DeRozan, like, I know we, we're not supposed to care about mid-range jumpers and things of that nature. <laughs> he but brought it like, back. He, he did bring it back and just, like, at the ends of games, like, you're going to generate quality shots if DeRozan has the ball in his hand, right? Like, I don't think that's a diet you want to subsist on for an entire game. 
But guess what? That's what you got Zach Levine for. That's what you got Lonzo Ball and AC in transition for. That's what you got Vucevic for in the half-court offense. You don't have to subsist solely on DeMar DeRozan one-on-one pull-ups. But when you need it, it's there to have. He's good at playmaking. So all of this is just a long way of saying yes. I think they're obviously way better than the team that they've been throughout the years. Now, do I think ultimately they'll be better or as good as Brooklyn or Milwaukee or some of the teams that I think are some of the big dogs in the conference or even my Atlanta Hawks? I'm not really (laughs) sure. But they are so obviously a good team this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who are the real and who are the pretenders then? Because that, that, to me, you, you start out by obviously saying the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets uh, and, and whatever the Philadelphia outfit end of season is going to look like. Because I still think that no matter how much they dislike Ben Simmons, uh, Joel Embiid is going to feel the, the weight of that burden mm-hmm. at some point. And we've already mm-hmm. seen it you know, at the beginning of this season with load management days. And it also speaks to the respect that people might have for the Bulls that they didn't have over the last couple of years because you sit out versus the Blazers because you're getting ready to play the Bulls. Bulls as opposed to, you know, last two years would have been the inverse to that, right? So I'm trying to figure out in this New York, Atlanta, Miami mesh where the Bulls fall. Miami obviously is blowing teams out left and right mm-hmm. and getting quality dubs too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they beat they beat the 76ers, I believe. They beat the Bucks early on in the season before they had all their injury issues. So in that middle of the pack Eastern Conference race, where do you see not just the Bulls, but how do you see that thing flushing out, obviously, without any unforeseen injuries just as yet so I think for the Bulls if we could start with them and compare them to the Heat right I don't think the Bulls have an elite unit um, on either side of the ball I think they're really good on offense um, but I wouldn't say they're elite an elite offensive team where it's like no matter the opponent no matter the matchup it's going to be hell to generate stops against the Bulls. I don't know that they're bulletproof that way in that unit. And I know for a fact their defense will be a problem in the playoffs. Like, early on in the season, they played some pretty terrible offenses. And so the defensive numbers look good, and they are better than they have been in the past. But the bottom line is, if you're going to, in the playoffs, go out and try to defend with the likes of Vucevic and even an improved Zach Levine, like, he's... He deserves credit for what he's done defensively. He's no longer just a complete sieve um, on the defensive end, but he's still not a plus defender. And then DeRozan, that's never been his bag. So those three guys being your three best guys, and if you have to defend playoff level offenses, elite offenses where their coaching staff, scouting department is dedicated to just beating you and your weaknesses – on a night-to-night basis, I think in the playoffs, that's where you're going to see the Bulls aren't quite at the elite level. Um, and because their offense can't carry them the way, say, Brooklyn's probably can in a playoff setting, right? So I think because of that, I don't think they're, they're quite in that tier. Um, but Miami, because their defense can get to hyper-elite status um, in any setting where they're going to put the screws to any kind of defense because of defensive versatility, the the defensive talent that they have. Like, they can match up with whoever they want, whether it be playing Bam at the five or sliding them to the four, right? Like, whether it be playing conventional pick-and-roll defenses or being an ultra-switchy group with the guys that they have. Um, I just – and just the, just the 
collective knowledge defensively when you think about Jimmy, Bam, uh, Kyle Lowry, PJ, PJ uh, Tucker. Tucker. These mm-hmm. are some of the best defenders we've ever seen <laughs> in the NBA, right? And so um, I just believe in their ability to be elite at that level. And on offense, I don't think they're, you know, some kind of juggernaut on offense, obviously right. not in terms of Miami. Uh, but I think in the half court, in a playoff setting again, when the game just basically bogs down to people, these dudes walking the freaking ball up the court on every single possession, I think they'll be able to execute at a level um, that'll get them by and let their defense carry the day. So give me them. Give me Milwaukee and obviously Brooklyn as the heavies. And I think the teams that are knocking on the door is basically Atlanta, Philadelphia, because again, Joel Embiid, um, on a minute-by-minute minute basis, was the best player in the NBA last year, last regular season, right? Like, he missed a lot of games, and, you know, that's basically what he's done his whole career. But when he was on the floor, he was the best NBA player per minute in um, uh, last season, and that's why he finished top three in MVP, et cetera, et cetera. And I think when you have a guy like that, and you have pieces that have pretty complimentary, save for the Ben Simmons situation, which I think eventually will resolve itself into more quality players coming into Philadelphia. You got to take those guys seriously as well. Um, And then, you know, Atlanta, the Bulls, although again, I think Atlanta's better than the Bulls because I just think um, the way their pieces fit on both ends of the floor, they can get to a level that I don't know that the Bulls can because of their reliance on guys who just straight up ain't good at defense. Like, I don't no. want to be a hater, Bulls no, fans. No, no, no. It's real. It's real. Like, DeMar DeRozan is not a good defender, and he has to be on the floor. Vucevic, as your five man, dudes are light, their eyes are lighting up, okay? When they see Vuce is the last line of defense on any defensive unit, um, and you see Patrick Williams goes down, and he's supposed to help him in that regard. So, I don't, you know, I'm not buying the Knicks. I know I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> I was going to ask you about the Bing Bong movement. What's happening, I, I, man? I, 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 I know I'm not supposed to say that as a native New Yorker and, you know, any of my New York homies who listen to this are going to be like, what the fuck? Um, I just don't buy it. I just don't think their talent, they don't have the high-end talent yet, but they play their asses off. Yeah. And in the regular season, that's enough. They have no illusions about, oh, we're a switch team. No, there's no switch. They know they have to play their asses off every single night, you know, play how they got to play on defense to get it done. Um, And that works in the regular season. But in the playoff setting, look, I predicted that the Hawks would either sweep them or win in five games last year. And people were killing me before the play. I'm like, guys, like, you can't compare the talent on the two teams. Like, the Hawks are an extremely talented team as compared to the Knicks. And you saw that bear out. And I think Kemba and Fournier are vast, massive upgrades um, to what they were doing in the backcourt last season. I just don't think it's going to be enough to, like, ultimately matter. But I love what they're doing, though. Yeah, Julius Randle coming back down to earth was predicted a little bit this year. Because last year, you know, Tibbs, Tibbs, all he asked is you could do whatever you want on offense, but you got to play defense defense for me. Mm -hmm. And Julius Randle 
stepped his defensive game up mm-hmm. last year. That's what kept him on the floor. You look at Julius Randle's minutes. I mean, when they're playing through you and you're talented, as, as talented as he is, you're going to look like that. Now, mm-hmm. and we saw in the playoffs when it's time to shoulder that burden and you've done it for 70-plus games in a Tibbs offense and defense, then you might get grounded in the dust. I mean, we've seen that with the Bulls here with Derek and Jimmy Butler and others. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Don't forget of Nate Robinson. I remember the oh, Nate Robinson yeah. Bulls where he yeah. was the focal point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Tibbs got a lot of little dudes paid, man. You know, the, the C.J. Watsons of the world and Mike Jameses of the world, you know. And shout out to Nate. Uh, yeah, that, that, that great Brooklyn series where Marco Bellinelli was doing the My Nuts Are Too Big celebration, you know. Like, those are good times. Those are good times. Understanding that, you know, being a six seed wasn't all bad. But, uh, but if, if we take a look at where the not just the Bulls are right now, but the, the teams that are disappointing you, the teams that might be surprising you around the league, a lot of people looking at the Clevelands of the world, yeah. Phoenix on the other end, or what the Lakers have gone through early on in this season. I don't know if I have too much, I won't say worry, but some of the expectations are being reached, right? Just because you're wearing the, the purple and gold doesn't mean that you're not old and going to be able to defend. Right. And if LeBron's not getting to the rim uh, like he used to be, or if he's shooting as many threes as he's doing currently, then this team dynamics going to be a little bit differently. So who's surprising you and who's disappointing you so far in the league? I mean, just because you left off with the Lakers, I, I'm not surprised by the Lakers start because they brought in like nine, ten new, new guys, right? And so that's going to take its time to for Vogel to figure out. And part of what people don't understand as well is like because that team is so veteran-laden and a lot of those guys are – are names within the league and there's a certain level of respect that they command. Vogel has to show AD and LeBron like, I know these are your mans and I know you want to see them get minutes, but I'm going to let y'all watch this not work, right? Like DJ at the five with AD, with Russell Westbrook. I mean, I looked up the lineup data the other day and they're just getting smoked with those lineups out there. Can't move. You know, like this, it's obvious why that's not going to work. Like before we even get to the season, like you and I could just look at it and be like Westbrook, DJ, AD, LeBron, and just one nominal shooter, and you you're supposed and to some, score. And sometimes Rondo with that, so not they, even they, a nominal shooter. That's, yeah. a, that's absurd. The Rondo Russell Westbrook backcourt is. <laughs> what are we doing here? What are <laughs> we doing? And it, and it's obvious to all of us, but Vogel has to do it. And to show it to his guys, like, guys, we're going to try it, but I'm going to show you that it doesn't work. I think we saw a similar dynamic with Steve Nash and the DJ minutes and the LMA minutes and all of that last year was like, I noticed your boy, Russ, I mean, excuse me, um, KD and Kyrie, but like, I want to show you like the guy's not good, Mm -hmm. right? And I think Vogel's going to have to go through a similar process with his group this year to be like, I know you guys think these guys have names and... You know, for those listening at home, I want you guys to understand, current NBA players are the worst talent evaluators known to men. Their perceptions of the guys in the league are so colored by their own thoughts, right? Um, I'll take the example of, like, Kyrie. Like, NBA players think Kyrie Irving 
is one of the greatest players in the history of life because he does so many things on the court that they themselves can't do. Right. Like when they watch Kyrie finish at the cup, when they watch his dribbling, when they watch his shooting, they're like, I can't do any of that. Functionally on the court, Kyrie's like, you know, he's been a really good to great player sometimes, all-star level guy. He's not some all-time level. He's never been as good as, say, Steve Nash, right? But nobody, no NBA player would ever say that. They look at Steve Nash and what he's done and be like, nah, no way he's on the level of Kyrie, Uncle Drew. And other obvious kidding? reasons, you know. Well, we, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they ain't going to jump into that for other obvious bags, right? Right, right. And so NBA players have terrible ideas about who's good True. and who's not because it's just based on I can't do it. You know, anything they can't do, they overvalue. And so I think Vogel's going to have to show his guys that the name guys might not be the guys that need to be playing the most minutes necessarily. And, you know, I'm watching the Cleveland game, you know, the transition to Cleveland, who has obviously been a surprise. And down the stretch of the game, they spread Cleveland out. They said, we're going to run AD and LeBron pick and roll over and over like, you either suck all the way in to stop that AD lob and pass from happening, or I just throw it to an open shooter, and they just do it over and over and over. Or you switch, and we beat the switch because, you know, not many guys can guard AD or LeBron one-on-one -on -one as a combo. Um, and that's just our offense down the stretch, and it's like, oh, it's that simple. <laughs> they yeah. have Bron and AD on yeah. the freaking team. Yeah. Okay, like what are we even talking about here? When it gets down to the nitty-gritty, Vogel's not going to be playing around with these people in the playoffs. We don't have time for this, DJ. We don't have time for Dwight's antics. AD, you're playing 40, 40 42 minutes at the five. LeBron's going to play another 40 minutes next to you. We're going to figure out the lineup permutations that make the most sense, matchup dependent, and we're going to ask teams to beat that. That's what's ultimately going to happen. But we're going to do the dog and pony show in the regular season because, you know, you do. it's a team and these guys are human beings and you do have egos to placate. And so that's what we're going to see play out. But in the playoffs, we're not going to play this, this game. Come on now. We, we don't have time for that. And so I'm not surprised by what's happened in L.A. Who are the young stars that you're looking at here? I I, I used to call it uh, back when I was doing more local stuff here at the local mm -hmm. sports radio station. I used to call it the LeBron pressure, right? Where mm -hmm. you know after a while your career ain't cute no more. When are you gonna start winning at a certain level? Steph Curry was under that for a mm -hmm. little bit when he had the bad ankles, and you know we talk about the qualifying offers early on in his career, and was he the value that the Warriors thought he would be, and then he goes on to become one of the all-time greats. Uh, you know, Luka Doncic and some of these guys, Jason Tatum, some of these guys. Now it may be too early for Luka because we treat Luka like he's 28 years old, and you know, he's really, know. He, right, he know. just really turned 16. I know. Uh, and then some of the, some of these other guys, like in a few years, it'll be. LaMelo Ball's turn, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you think of some of the guys who are coming up to that, that, that next step where it's like, all right, you're the best player on your team. You're one of the best players in the league. We know what this league requires and ass of its best players. Everybody's in that Michael Jordan shadow of have you won a championship yet or when are you going to win a championship? Who are some of those players that are getting right on the precipice of that, that eventful fork in the road that all great NBA players or, or future potential great NBA players have to come to? Yeah, and I know that we talked about these guys in the pregame, but it's got to be Tatum and Brown. Um, and I remember talking to Bill about this, where I'm just like, all right, you hear rumblings about Boston's yearning to placate these dudes or, like, 
extensions that were just signed. Like, well, we got two years to get it right. And here's my thing, Jay. Here's my thing with young guys and certain type of superstars. When you're delivering for me on a year-to-year basis, okay, cool. Like, where it's like, just having you here changes my life. Mm. Okay, cool. I'm watching Tatum and Brown play well, and the team do nothing. So, why do I have to kiss your ass? You're not changing my life, right? Like, you're not guaranteeing me 50 wins per season just by you showing up and being here. That's not the case. So, y'all not those type of dudes, we not y'all not the type of dudes that we have to placate and kiss ass to and just be like, oh my God, it's the end of the world if Kevin Durant's no longer in my building. Oh my God, it's the end of the world when LeBron's not here. Or Joel is not here. Or Jokic is not here. Y'all not that. They're not that. And they've never proven to be that at any point. It's just this perception because they played so well at such a young age that people were like, oh, these are generational talents. We can't possibly have these guys not be a part of what we do. We have to move heaven and earth for them. And I'm just like, where's the proof of concept that just having Tatum and Brown means your team is now elite and matters? That's not the case. You can say whatever you want about Russ and KD, but when they were in Oklahoma City, that was guaranteed to be 50 wins. That was damn near a conference finals team every single year that those guys were over there. It didn't matter the fact that Presti refused to put shooting around them or whatever the case may be. No matter what, those guys were so damn good. That team was at the upper echelon of the league every single year for having those two dudes. People talk about Tatum and Brown as if that's the case. It's so clearly not. And look, we're recording this the morning after Marcus Smart, like, basically... (laughs) Basically, was like, I'm not getting the rock enough. Yeah, these yeah. Dudes After don't he share tossed the, the grenade into the locker room and walked yeah, out. <laughs> these, these dudes don't share the rock enough and blah, 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 blah. After they, you know, they gave up 130 points in regulation to the Chicago Bulls. Like, I know this is a higher scoring league, but, like, you can't give up 130 points in regulation. And the unit that you complain about is the offensive one. I'm sorry, sir. Like, you need to get your priorities in order, especially for a guy who used to call himself a defensive, you know, stalwart. But again, I think Tatum and Brown, and Tatum more specifically because there was just this idea that he was a world beater, you know. Um, that LeBron series like, got everybody shook up, boy. Bro, that, he, <laughs> he was kicking Rodney Hood's ass, okay? <laughs> That's what happened that series. I, I'm sorry, I, I like... Uh, like the specifics and the context matter. He dunked guys. on LeBron though, so you like, know you gotta count that for some. Right, right, right. <laughs> I was just like, guys, like it was Rodney Hood. It was a decrepit Eastern Conference. Like, well, he took him to the conference front. I'm like, yo, like, do y'all remember sure. who they did this against? And my thing with Tatum was always the same. It's like he's not somebody that you're scared to leave your best offensive perimeter defender on on an island ever, and. Although he's gotten better throughout the years, and I do want to give him credit for that, mm-hmm. he's not an elite playmaker, which I think is what Smart was sort of trying to get at. Like, these dudes can have tunnel vision, and these dudes can... And the things that get people excited about Tatum is his ability to make tough shots, um, which, again, it looks beautiful. 
He's a tough shot maker. Your offense cannot subsist on a steady diet of tough shots. That's not how great offenses are built. Tough shots are break glass in case of emergency. Against the best defenses in the league, I run a pick and roll. I get a guy who's not OG Ananobi on me, finally. I take him one-on-one. I'm able to get a decent look. I'm not doing that all game, right? Your best player should be able to, by the fact of his offense, his offensive prowess, create punctures in the defense that allow things to open up elsewhere within the offense. Tatum and Brown don't really do that. You know, like, I remember LeBron at the peak of his powers, right? Where Spolstra realized, like, wait, all I got to do is line up a decent big man lob threat next to LeBron, spread the rest of this shit out, and that's an offense? Like, if if they suck in on the big man um, with help defenders, LeBron's elite at finding shooters at any angle. And if they don't, LeBron's just going to lob it. Or if they switch it... LeBron's going to be like, wait, you're putting a big guy on me? Oh, let me back this up 30 feet, get ahead of steam, and just run right past him and dunk on the dude. Like, th- like that's elite offense, right? Like, no matter how the defense plays you, I have a pretty decent option for scoring, you know? And because mm-hmm. my best player allows for that, because of his vision on offense, his understanding of how to manipulate a defense. Like, that's what the best players do. They present options Tatum and Brown don't do that why do we have to why do we have to kiss kiss these dudes asses every year from Boston what makes them quote-unquote untouchable I remember when it was like we can't give up the future of Jalen Brown because of Anthony Davis I'm like what (laughs) (laughs) who Like, okay, sure. You know, like, to me, it's like you go for the gusto, right? And I think, you know, those guys are those guys for me. And I think another another guy that you got to kind of got to look at because of the reports that came out this offseason about his dissatisfaction with how his team is being ran is Zion. Mm. It's like, okay, guy who's literally done dick for the New Orleans Pelicans as far as delivered team success and guy who can't stay on the floor, and guy who's talking about, I'll play on a qualifying offer rather than sign a max extension because this team is so incompetent. Um, With his injury issues. Yeah. um, Excuse me? (laughs) Do something first. Like, deliver something for your team. And then start complaining about incompetence around you. Like, deliver something. Like, bro, you are not LeBron playing with Danielle Marshall and Eric Snow and Wally Zerbiak and Booby Gibson looking like a damn all-star in the conference finals and getting your team to the final. Like, you ain't that, bro. You're barely on the court. And when you are, you haven't delivered team success for your team. And again, he's a young dude. But if the reports are to believe that this guy's like, there's not enough competence around me, excuse me, sir. I'm not even going to say, I haven't liked the way the teams in New Orleans have been built myself, but Zion, you kind of got to show and prove before you start making all kinds of demands and pretending like the whole world should be kowtowed towards you because of your immense talent and you're some basketball god, like, do it on the court, like, KD did it on the court, LeBron did it on the court, like, Jokic is doing it on the court, like, all-star damn near players are getting going down around him. Yogi's like, it's cool. 
just run the offense through me. We're going to win games because I'm that great. But you watching dudes shoulder that burden and deliver success for their team. Zion, like, who are you, bro? I'm yeah. sorry. You're going to, excuse me, a dude with your injury past, your body type, you're going you gonna, to you gonna <laughs> thumb your nose at a max deal from the New Orleans Pelicans for five years? And I think a lot of it, I think, is posturing, by the way. I don't truly believe any of that. But the idea that you present a, a young guy with his injury history and from what we've heard about his family members who are sort of running the show, switching agents, doing all of that, them people who are in charge, you say, yo, Zion, you know if you just write your name on this piece of paper, that's 200 mil? 200 and he's supposed to say no to that because he don't like the way David Griffin doing business. Nah, I'm going to sign that deal and figure out the rest later. Yeah, I'm going to sign the deal and get David Griffin out of here. That's, I mean, <laughs> that, 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 you know what I mean? Like, be, be a big boy. When you sign that check, go get your first GM or get your yeah. first coach fired and, and figure right. it out. Uh, as we wrap it up here, and I appreciate your time, brother, uh, where did this relationship with the game start for you? And mm. how, how did you matriculate to the ringer here? Man, it's crazy. Uh, basically? I think my first memory of sports would have been the 93 finals. <laughs> um, Mike versus Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, I can remember being really happy that it happened. And I also remember, because I have siblings who are 11 and 13 years older than me. Okay. I can also remember my brother and sister being depressed about it. And I was like, how could anybody be unhappy that Michael Jordan won the championship? At the time, I didn't realize they were insufferable Nick fans. Um, they they were those bing bong people yes, in the video. Yes. Like they are those people. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that was my introduction to the game. And basically, since my parents let me go outside, that's what we were doing on in my neighborhood. We were hooping, hooping yeah. on crates, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so because I was so addicted to playing hoops, I was fanatical about it. And, you know, let's face it, Nike, Hanes, Gatorade, McDonald's, the NBA itself had very so thoroughly propagandized me to understand that Michael Jordan was not just a hooper, but a deity in hoop shorts and Jordan is it the shoes, et cetera, et cetera. I was, I idolized Michael Jordan, right? Like, that's why to this day I'm not a Knicks fan. Um, because I rooted for basketball excellence, and I aspired to be excellent at hoop. And let's face it, like, God bless Derek Harper and Hubert Davis and John Starks. They were not excellent NBA players. They were excellent basketball players. They had 10-year NBA careers, but they were not excellent NBA players as far as people who had the balls and ball in their hands. So I gravitated toward Mike, and that was basically my obsession with the game was through you know, idolizing Mike. And then, of course, you know, Mike's generation is supplanted by the 96 draft, which is uh, AI, Steph, the real Steph, Stephon right. Marbury, shouts <laughs> to Brooklyn. AI, Coney Island in the building. Coney Island's <laughs> finest, Lincoln High School, PSAL, the whole thing. You know, AI, Steph, Kobe, um, Ray Allen, that yeah. whole... That whole era of guys, even the Antoine Walker and the Canby and Nash's and all of these guys sort of shaped my understanding of why I like the game going forward. KG, you name it. 
And um, yeah, just those are the people, Mike and then AI and them and Kobe and them and Steph and them are why, you know, became obsessed with the game as a young hooper um, and just somebody idolizing these guys, you know. Uh, and that's just what I would, what I cared about the most. Like, I love football. I love baseball. You know, college football, college basketball, I can't watch. It's just a just horrible product. Thank you. Thank you. It's an awful Thank product. You. I, I try. Can't I try I my. I, can't. I, 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 I deem the. I deem March Madness in the tournament the, the festival of missed jump shots every it's single year. Disgusting. It's disgusting. Two passes to an open shot and you're missing it. Guys dribbling off their foot. It's like. It, 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 it's. I don't know. It, you, you got watch. junior. You got junior year point guards looking back at the coach it, it, after four months of basketball for the play, and it's like, yeah, it's, at what point are we going to just let dudes play? It's ridiculous. And again, not everybody can be at this. <laughs> level but I've watched Memphis some nights and I watched John Morant like operate and pick and roll and one-on-one I'm like this dude savvy is his understanding of the game of basketball aside from his athleticism is on another level so I watched basically Picasso and Van Gogh and then I'm supposed to watch a bunch of dudes scribbling their notepads nah I can't do that I can't do it so anyway that's how my you know my love for the game developed and then you know after school and all of that um, I was working in finance. Okay. Uh, I was working at like just a straight up, you know, cubicle, corporate, whatever. And I got let go from one of those jobs. And um, the person I was seeing at the time was like, yo, because I was looking for more jobs in the finance sector. And the person at the scene at the time was like, yo, um, if you could be doing anything, what would you be doing? And I was like, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. And full disclosure, y'all, just a little background. Um, I was dating a white woman, and I remember at the time thinking, like, that was the whitest question I've ever heard in my fucking life. <laughs> like, only white people think they can do anything they want to do, right? Oh, like, with all that hope. Right. It's just like, when you think, like, you, you just think you could just wake up and just, you know, be the queen of England when like, it don't work like that. But, but, you know, like, I remember hearing that question and being like, God bless this woman. She really thinks anything is possible. Anyway, I was like, um, if I could be doing anything, I would be working in sports, more specifically like sports media, more specifically the NBA. She's like, well, do you know anybody that works in sports media? And I was like, you know what's crazy? Matter of fact, I do. My man Amin, Amin El Hassan. Oh, that's my to man be, too. Of course. He oh, used man. to be of ESPN, um, yeah, now fucks yeah. with Lebertard and them. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my good homie. <laughs> I was like, actually, Amin just got a job with ESPN. He had just left the Suns. Like, Henry had just hired him, Henry Abbott mm -hmm. of True Hoop, et cetera, to, like, mm -hmm. freelance for ESPN. Um, and she was like, well, why don't you reach out to him for pointers? And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Something that we would never think of. No, like, at hit all. Your, hit your mans up for yeah, hit your advice mans on in getting right. into what you want to do? What's wrong with you? Like, Come on, who does now. that? Right. You you go know? back to work. <laughs> but but the thing is, though, Jay, like, the thing is, for me, it's like I'm such a junkie about it. Like, the people that I'm reading, like Henry Abbott, for instance, or right. Arnovitz, or Hollinger, or all of these dudes that I'm reading at the time. I'm like, these dudes are masters at what they do. Mm -hmm. Like, the idea that I could just show up and be as good as these guys at the job of covering the NBA just seemed absurd to me, right? Um... And then, you know, I talked to Amin, and Amin had just been starting. And at the time, this is like 2013, ESPN just didn't give a fuck about digital. 
Like they didn't give a damn about what was happening on the internet. All of their resources were Sports Center, right? Like, what do we do with the flagship product, Sports Center, pouring hundreds of millions of dollars of resources, et cetera? The internet was the bastard stepchild. And what ended up happening was Amin got his own web show that Jade Hoy and John Gervais were producing, and Amin would have me on. And he had me on, and Jay thought I was pretty good. And they would just keep having me on, keep having me on, keep having me on, keep having me on, to the point where Jade is having me on his his non-Amin in them properties, right? Like, mm. yeah, I'm producing Windhorse's podcast. I'm going to have you on. And I'm like, Jade, you can't do this. this yeah, is it's different. Yeah. This is, the, you can't, like, Amin is my man. It's yeah. one thing to be doing yeah. that. He, he's like, no, like, trust me, you have, a, like, a knack for this shit. And Windhorse, who is now a personal friend, um, shouts to Wendy, shouts to Mo, his wife. Uh, Windhorse would later tell me and Jade, he'd be like, I was like, what is fucking crazy ass Jade doing now? This is ridiculous. He doesn't even work for the company, yada, yada, yada. Um, and after a while, Windhorse was telling Jade, like, nah, I need to have this dude on. I love what he brings. Like, I get it. And then, like, it was just shit like that that was just, like, giving me confidence more and more. Yes, like, sir. he'd have me on with Arnovitz. He'd have me on with this person. And it was just more and more confidence. As I was doing it, because, like, even though ESPN didn't give a fuck about the internet, like, a lot of people were listening to this shit. A lot of people in the industry and just general fans of the game. And people started reaching out to me, like, yo, I fuck with what you do. Yo, I think you have a knack for this. Yo. And it was just giving me more and more confidence. And then just doing that, literally, just doing ESPN's digital stuff part-time for free as I was working out in the world to, like, make money, um, I just got noticed by people. More and more people started to know who I was until I got my first full-time job working in sports media in, like, 2017 or 2016. And then... um. And then that led to The Athletic, and then The Athletic led to The Ringer, and now I'm on The Great Jason Golf oh, Show. Oh, knock it the fuck off. Know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out, shout out to that, 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 uh, that great woman. She is the Greg Popovich of Exes. <laughs> she has led another black man to glory, so we yes, appreciate it. Yes, she has. She has. <laughs> we, Shouts we to her. Shouts to her. I, I have personally thanked her for it. But yeah, I, I literally, because, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you just, because I don't know anybody that works in sports journalism. I didn't grow okay. up with anybody who did, okay. right? Like, everybody who was successful um, around me were people who, like, became accountants. Um, they became teachers. They became firemen. They became, you know, all of these things that aren't in the creative industries. They became the people that your parents usually want you to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Well, and we're yo, both the foreign-born parents, so it's yes. like, hey, doctor, lawyer, yeah. accountant. Like These are the Jason, things you want to be when we come where, to this where, country. Where are your people from? Belize. Okay. So yeah. island folks like me. My parents yeah, are Haitian. Right, right, right. So to this day, like... Let's face it, like... You don't have a real job. Don't have a real job whatsoever. <laughs> like, Jason, I'm, I'm telling you, to this day, I'm, I'm 34 years old. And for people who are listening, like, we're paid pretty decently to do what we do here. Decent. Right? Like, we're pay, paid pretty decently. We're making right. a good little life for ourselves. <clears throat> Every now and again, my mom would be like, so you don't want to get a master's? <laughs> like... 
what? Wait, wait, like, wait, you want me to go get in debt for for like, a, 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 like a fifty sixty thousand? Shout out to the like people making mom, fifty sixty k. Dude, I remember my mom hit me one time, <laughs> and she was kind of distraught because like my mom doesn't understand what I do. Like she she's an immigrant. She's seventy years old. She doesn't understand what a podcast is. She's like, so wait, is it you're on the radio? <laughs> I'm like, not something like that, or she right. doesn't understand. And it's not like, TV? <laughs> no, it's not. Like, oh, so you're on YouTube? But like, whatever. Like, when I was writing for The Athletic, she's like, so it's, so you, you write for a newspaper? I'm like, eh, it's an app. It's, I, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> but, but I remember one day she called me and she was just like, mind you, again, like, I'm doing pretty decent at, in my right. career. Right. You know, obviously I'm not making Stephen A money, you know, but, but I'm doing pretty decent in my career. And she's just like, you know, I just always thought that you would, you know, have your own corner off office and, you know, you would wear a suit and tie to work every day. And it's just, I'm really just, and then somebody in my family had to like sit my mom down one day and like, yo, no, like this motherfucker's like actually killing it in his right. career. Like yeah, and he loves doing like, it. And he loves doing it. And like ninety nine percent of the people in our family aren't successful in what they're doing. Like, like let's just say covering sports, Jason. Like the freaking accountants and school principals in my family, they're not in the top one percent right. of those people. Right. We You're are not getting principal in, of the year. No, 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 no. We are definitely in the one percent of <laughs> bloggers, podcasters, you whatever you want to call it. I fucking hate you. We for just starve. We're not like I'm sorry. Like my family member who is a police detective, like again, dope job. Shout out to him. You're not one of the one percent <laughs> detectives in the world in in the United States. Talk your shit. Bro. When it comes to like talking head, like just stammering and hey. and just yapping and and talking people's ears off, and say what you want. Like Put I'm, in the, on it. I'm in the one percent. I'm in the one percent. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm sorry. Oh, I, you Lord. know my family member who's a CEO. He not one of the one percent CEOs in America. Nah, nah. It don't work like that. But somebody nah. in my family finally sat down, and my mom was like, "Explaining was like, yo, this dude's not. First of all, <laughs> no, he doesn't need to go back to school. He's like good. <laughs> yeah, everything's all right, mom. You know, what I'm the the outcome that you were hoping for is happening. It's just yeah, yeah, in a different yeah. way than you yeah. planned on it happening. For sure. Uh, worst day of your career, best day of your career. Sheesh, wow. Um, man. So, you know, it's been so long since this happened, but like in 2017 when I moved to LA, um, <laughs> we started a company with this guy um, who was basically our business partner, and we started an independent media company. Okay. I moved to LA for it, and within, I think, three to four months of me moving here, um, it's found out that the guy who we started the company from um, stole $600,000 from our investor, mm. our main investor. So the company I moved to LA from New York for, I had a big going away party. Of course. All of this shit. We about to, you know, we about to do our thing in independent media. We about to get it popping. Um, it's basically done. Yeah. Uh, 
And that was, it was crazy because like for like a week, for like a week, I basically was like, I have to move back to New York. Um, I'm basically, I literally, like literally four months ago, I told everybody in my life like goodbye. I'm in LA for this new opportunity, blah, 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 blah. And you know what's so crazy? Like the that was the worst thing that ever happened. Mm. Um, like you move into a new city, like across the country. Like I didn't move to Jersey or right. Philly. Right. I, like I moved to fucking LA. And a week, maybe a week into that, maybe a little bit more than that, um, I got a call from somebody who was working at Uninterrupted, LeBron shop. Mm-hmm. And they were like starting a show, which is about which was about sports and pop culture, more specifically sports and music. And she was somebody that I had known from New York, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine. And she was like, "Look, they've been like trying out all these people," and I'm like, I had to step in and be like, "Yo, I know somebody who's gonna kill this if we just give them an audition." And she's like, "Let me get your email, et cetera, et cetera," and. I got an audition for this job at Uninterrupted, hosting the show that they were ironically doing with Spotify at the time, which is crazy how this all of course. comes together. Um, and basically, like, I was too, like, after my first audition, Day, who's now our podcast lead, was working over there. And he was basically like, nah, we're, we're, we're bringing you in. It's over. And, like, because I booked that job, I was able to stay in LA. So like the mm. worst thing that ever happened to me, which, you know, wasn't my fault that some guy was a criminal. And the best thing was just like straight up, it happened within like 10 days of each other. I That's booked love. this uninterrupted job. And because I booked that, which wasn't like some permanent thing, it was like a pilot we shot, but that was like for, I think that lasted like three months, that pilot. And within that three months, uh, me, Jade, and a few of us, the athletics started talking to us. And like within that time, like everything just kept moving. Mm-hmm. Like I booked this uninterrupted thing. The athletic was interested in hiring me. And like it just kept going. Yeah. It just, yeah, yeah. And it just hasn't stopped, honestly, ever since then. But there was like a 10-day period where this was this was a failure. <laughs> this was a complete yeah. and utter come back home. This is why you don't chase your, your dreams, kids. Yeah, right. Take this your ass back why. to that cubicle, fam. That's it. That's it. You know, you better take that fireman's exam. Like, straight up. And no disrespect. I wanted to be a fireman at Shout one out point. Shout out to the FDNY. fireman. Shouts to the whole FDNY. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it, there was a 10-day period where it was looking bleak. You know, where I'm just like, hold on, like, am I about to be homeless? Like, hold on, like, what the, f- like, hold on, wait, what, what is happening? He's about right to get now? back on the phone with Popovich, like, you got bruh, any more advice? What's happening? Bruh, <laughs> bruh. And the best yeah. day for you. Yeah, within 10 days of that, I would say, man, it was less than two weeks for sure. It was about 10 days after we figured out, like, no, like, we're getting our last check in two weeks, and this thing is a wrap. Like, this dude, like, straight up bankrupt the company, um, doing God knows what. Um, to me, booking uninterrupted and booking that, like, I met so many people through that. Like, that's how I met Day. I met a bunch of people through that job um, who I'm still friends with, who I still have great business relationships with. Um, and like I said, like, this shit just kept moving, you that's know? Love. And at, And at every step of the way, like, you know, for people who are listening to this, like, 
there were people who were encouraging me, right? Like not just people in my life, but people within the business who would reach out to me and be like, yo, you don't sound like any of us. The way you go about it is different from us. Keep doing this shit. I fuck with what you're doing. I think what you're doing is like singular. Like, and these are people who I admire their fucking work, you know? So there were so many people encouraging me to be like, nah, keep fucking with this. Like, this is something I think that, that you can do at a, at a pretty decent level. And so you get that encouragement and, you know, you book another job, another job reaches out like we're interested in you and all of that. And you start to build a confidence like, all right, I could do this. And, you know, I know what my deficiencies are and what I need to get better at. And I can work at that and I can make this shit happen. Yeah, man. It sounds like your worst day happened and then two weeks later, your best day happened. I mean, so. it like, because so I remember when, you know, Everything was done with HR at The Ringer and Spotify. Feeling really accomplished. Hey, talk your shit. Because I I, I feel you on that. You understand? (laughs) Like, feeling like, wow, I did that. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. And it was, obviously, it wasn't just me. Like, I've had so much support in my life. But, like, feeling like I did it. But, like, at the same time, like, I've been doing sports media for a minute now. So it's like, it felt like it was something I deserved and I should be doing or whatever. Um, but I can remember feeling accomplished, but it wasn't that same feeling of, you know, booking uninterrupted and being like, shit, like I'm staying in LA and this thing is gonna fucking happen. It's gonna work. Like that's a way different feeling, you know? Um, it's just, a, and I'm in the, at a way different point in what I'm doing. You know, but um, yeah, I would definitely say that was like the best thing. It was booking that, bro. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. That's uh, and, and that's why I ask those questions of everybody that comes on this pod because, you know, we everybody shares their W's, but not too many people share their L's. And nah, you people, learn from people think that it's just you know you wake up one day and you on the Bill Simmons man. podcast. Nah, I'm here it's now. Like, nah, <laughs> it don't work like that, bro. Yeah, it don't work like that. So many awful things. So many like self-esteem defeating things are going to happen to you. And I don't even believe in this pie in the sky, you know, Tony Robbins type of shit. Like, I don't even believe in that. But just know, like, bad defeating things are going to happen to you along the way. And not to be all cliche, but you got to keep going. You have to see this shit through. You have to. You have to give yourself that chance, that opportunity to keep on failing, right? To keep on getting some no's. Like, because, you know, it's, it's going to be a bunch of L's. You're going to see a bunch of motherfuckers that you think are you're better than yeah. at, in whatever the given path that you've chosen, getting opportunities. And you'd be like, damn, if only I was as good as a social climber as such and such, I'd be in that spot. If only I was as good as being the fakest, phoniest, backstabbiest oh, yeah. Yeah. motherfucker. You start telling your shit, I'm too real. That's why oh, I don't yeah, fuck yeah, with yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right? Y'all like, ain't ready for this real shit out here. Well, exactly. And then somebody's like, hey, we'll pay you for the real shit. Shut up and come do this. Exactly. You know? <laughs> And, and like it's gonna take you honestly just losing man honestly yeah. losing faith and all of that stuff but also what I think we need to do more of and what I think I've I've always been decent in my life at is not letting the bad stuff bog you down because if you really look around enough a lot of times there is enough positivity around you there is enough encouragement like if you latch on to it that you can feed off of it 
you know, it's that old thing like where, you know, when you're on the internet, like you'll drop something, Jason, and like 50, 11 people will hit you and be like, that was fire. Them four people that was like, yep. this, get this Tracy Morgan imitation <laughs> idiot Big Waz off of my Ringer podcast. Now I hate him. Oh, right. Right. must skip. You know, you let those, you let those sort of dictate how your day's gonna go sometimes. Even though like so many people reached out to you, not even just strangers, like people in your own fucking life would be like, yo, that pod you did yesterday was amazing. That article you wrote was incredible. Like those things just slide right off your back. Mm -hmm. And then you latch on to this pot um to this negative stuff. I think as long as you you try to keep the the positive stuff centered and understand it like, you know, you're doing something that's worthwhile and like your work is good and you know, because you know if you're putting in the work or not. You know if you're putting the time in. Yes, you know if you're putting the reps in and you know that you're putting the work in to be better at what it is that you're trying to do, then you need to let that be your North Star and not get too bogged down in, you know, the, some of the hiccups that we have along our journey. Big Waz, the motivational speaker. <laughs> Before we get you up out of here, man, because you've been you. too generous with your, with your time. Uh, we're going to put together a, a full go podcast playlist for Spotify. I don't even know if they're going to allow okay. us to, but damn it, we're going to try. What okay. you listening to these days? Old, new, whatever, whatever's happening for you right now. Man, um, so... <sighs> And I did I did a Young Thug podcast for The Ringer, did a Young Thug draft for The Ringer Music Show. Okay. I've been listening to a lot of Young Thug. I think a lot of people, it's, it's like this latest album, uh, which is called Punk. It's a, it's a left turn from his previous work. Uh, there's a, a, like, look, if you don't like acoustic guitar, you might not want to turn this thing on. Um, but I do think, for me, as somebody who's been a fan of this dude for like seven years now, and just closely watching his career and his evolution, not just as an artist, but as a as a man, right? Like he's a mm -hmm. he's a man now. He's not this young up and coming kid. He's a man now. He's an and executive. So he's an executive. He's like yeah. he's just transformed his himself and his career, and it's been really neat to watch. But fun is an album that I think sort yeah. of brings that into focus. Um, as far as a, what a record people should be listening to, the, to the, for, from that, I think you should listen to the J. Cole joint. It's called Stressed. Um, J. Cole kills it. Young Thug, okay. Stressed. Should definitely listen to that. And, um, man, older music? Shoot, man. I was listening to Reasonable Doubt just last night. I'm a Jay-Z fanatic. Yes, sir. Um, Stan, whatever, uh, obsessed with Jay-Z's music. Uh, and I was listening to Doubt last night, and an older Jay-Z song I think anybody should listen to is Regrets. Um, it's Jay-Z at his best. Um, he's got all of the rap nerd, like, double entendre, double meaning raps. Um, and he's got the ill flow, but he's also, like, super melancholic and introspective and, like, thinking about the nature of existence and life and relationships and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Go listen to Regrets off of Reasonable Doubt, which to me is the best Jay-Z album ever mm -hmm. created and one of the best hip-hop albums ever. I put I put Reasonable Doubt. Go get whatever you want, right? Go get a coin of mine. Go get um, Life After Death. Go get uh, All Eyes on Me. Go get low whatever album. Yeah, yeah low-end theory. Go, go get whatever album you want to put in the canon. Um 
I'll put reasonable doubt against any of it. Illmatic, yeah. you name it, any of it. Yeah, yeah. And what I appreciate too is that reasonable doubt got a lot more fanfare years after it after, came out. But, yeah. but when when it first dropped, a lot of people was like, well, "What's going on here? It was Why over is this happening?" Heads. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It was, you look it, back, it, it was way over people's heads. Like there's Rosetta Stone now. back then. Yeah, I listen to it now, and I'm just like, "Yo, like." It's so dense. It's futuristic. It's futuristic. Yeah. And then it's got Primo on it because, you know, right. Primo, Primo will lull your ass to sleep. And then all of a sudden you're like, I didn't know that this impacted me the way that it did when it right. happened. I, I listened to, I, you know, for, for every game, because I do the pre and post game show for NBC Sports Chicago here for the Bulls. And before every game, I, I go through our studio and we've got the big board and we've got the LED and we've got the monitors and it's got the team matchups. And every, before every game on Instagram, I – uh, I walk around and whatever the visiting city is, I'll play a rapper or an R&B singer mm. from there as the background, as the soundtrack for the, the IG story. And Boston, you know, gurus from Boston, mm -hmm. and I played Mass Appeal. And you, you just sit there and you think to yourself, like, this affected me when I was 10 years old, yeah. 11 years old, 12 years old, and it affects me the same way when I'm 40. And I think yeah. that's the kind of music when Reasonable Doubt, you know, uh, volume two was, you know, he had to, he had to, like you said, make a left turn because of commercial yeah. appeal yeah, yeah, and all that. It, but there's it's still this imaginary player and there's still some, yeah. there's still some songs on it that, that take you back. But Reasonable Doubt, definitely, man, one of those albums where you, you appreciated it if you appreciated it then and you appreciate it even more now. It's kind of like The Wire and Sopranos. Like, I'll watch those oh shows goodness. once a year and find different artistic ranges and, and, and places that it's going to take me. I'm watching it now with my lady who I didn't I didn't have, you know, last time Which I watched Which one, it. Wire or Sopranos? Sopranos. We're watching Sopranos okay. right now. She's a psychotherapist. So watching mm. those scenes with Tony wow. and, his, and his therapist and thinking to myself like, man, I'm watching it through her eyes now. Reasonable doubt the same way. Every time, every year that I listen to it, I'm listening to it from a different reference point and you can appreciate the layering and like you said, regrets of the evils. I mean, you know, yeah. Dead Presidents, the original version, like all right. these things, this man was doing things. This man was, you know, he was on some Pistol Pete without the three-point line back then. And, 100, and now 100%. It's, it's what it people, is. people thought that it was just like, you know, because back then, for the younger listeners out there, like it's hard to understand now because rap is the dominant commercial right. form of music. So there's this not this idea of an underground and a mainstream or you know, backpackers, boom bap, yeah. whatever you Variance. want to call it. Right, variants. Um, but back then, it was so at the front of mind of every hip-hop fan of, was this guy making authentic, genuine music, or were they making it for commercial, i.e., not New York, not, not L.A., not Chicago, middle America, people who don't have any semblance of an idea of what this culture actually is and are just consuming this music because they think it's fun, right? Like, there were people who thought there was two different kinds of rap music to make. <laughs> and a lot of people, not, not only just like on some commercial stuff, they felt like gangster rap and talking about drugs made your art less pure. They felt like that was just boneheaded, you know, commercial letting these white record record execs mm -hmm. feed the people poison, blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. So when Jay-Z dropped Reasonable Doubt, and it is about selling drugs. It's about living on the fringes of society, honestly. But as a drug dealer, that's what you are, right? And um, people just dismissed it out here. It was just like... 
This can't be artful because it's about selling cocaine. And then you go back and you listen to it now, just the expertly, intricately way these rhymes are written and laid. Like you can't it's almost too damn artful at the yeah. at a certain point, you know? Yeah, yeah. It gets too dense. Uh rhythmic American poetry forever, man. Waz, I, I appreciate you. I, I knew we were going to get, you know, 15 minutes out of this. We turned it into a whole damn hour. I appreciate you jumping on. Uh tell the people where they can catch your stuff. Obviously at the ringer, NBA writer for the ringer, but pod wise, where can people find you? My of man? course, um I do Group chat with Justin Verrier and the great Rob Mahoney. Uh, that's every single week on the Ringer NBA show feed. So, of course, check that out. Check out the YouTube show, Full Court Fits, where we talk about NBA fashion. We talk about sneaker culture. We had pretty decent guests. Last week, we had Ronnie Cycli, who is I the most that. interesting man in the world. No cap. Like, this dude <laughs> does mega clubs in Miami as a DJ. Yeah. Yeah. Had a yeah. whole 10 year NBA career where, like, he wasn't some fringe NBA dude. He no. was starter level center, 15, 16 points a game, 10 boards, like a real NBA player. Then in his new life, becomes a DJ, a musician. Anyway, go check that out. Check Full Core Fits. That's every single Friday on the Ringers um, YouTube page. Yeah, check that out. Check all that yeah. stuff out. Yeah, man. And of course, he asked Ronnie Cycli about what it was like to play the Bulls. So from the Chicago angle, you can dig in there. Uh, Waz, thank you so much. I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you having me on, man. Be good. Time for some commercials. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Connect with the show 24-7 on the full gold voicemail line. Hit us up at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. Three one zero three. All right, it's the time of the show. We get to your phone calls. The voicemail line has been popping as of late, and we, we're running out of things to talk about with these Chicago Bears. So it's time to spice it up, mix it up with some basketball conversation. Of course, you got the winter meetings coming up. Maybe there's going to be a baseball season. Maybe there's not. And of course, you can get to those sad sack bears anytime you want. Tanny, what we got? Hey, Jason. It's Josh from Morris, Illinois. Been a listener since the 670 days. Really appreciate the insight. Um, I listen to every podcast, so keep doing your thing. Uh, I'm just question- calling in to uh, ask a question about the Chicago Bulls now with P-Will out for the rest of the regular season. Thinking about options to filling his position, I know Kobe White has been thrown around as a trade option, kind of the centerpiece of a trade. Um, but part of me thinks that you're losing potential scoring on the second unit, which obviously the Bulls desperately need. Uh, I guess I was just trying to just want to hear your thoughts on, you know, what you think is Kobe White as a trade chip to fill that power forward position, and then who would that option be? You know, are we looking at obviously Marvin Bagley's thrown around a lot. Um, I've even heard, you know, Pascal Siakam. Maybe that's just for my friends. Um, but just curious who you think would be best 
to fill that position if we were to use Kobe White as a centerpiece of a trade, obviously having to give up more if needed. Um, I'll hang up, listen to your answer, but keep doing your thing. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. And I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the pod and being down for so long from the earlier days in the career. You know, the, the Kobe White conundrum that the Bulls have is one that, you know, a lot of Bulls fans are trying to trying to track and see what this team is going to look like when everybody and all the chemistry has come fully formed, maybe around the all-star break. But Kobe, Kobe last year had the unenviable task of trying to learn how to be a point guard while also being a young player in the NBA. And Billy Donovan and those guys were trying to figure out how much point guard was in them, threw them to the wolves, figured out that there wasn't a lot of point guard in them. And that's how, that's what he, uh, I won't say disguised himself, but that's what he presented himself at, at the draft. And that's why he went so high. He's a terrific scorer. He's, he's instant offense. But the problem that the Bulls have is their bench. Their bench is pieced together right now, and it's fun. But you're going to have to have somebody coming off that bench, one, that can score, and two, that can shoot. You don't have a lot of shooting coming off that bench with Caruso and Derek Jones Jr. and Tony Bradley and got Javante Green, guys like that. So you're going to need somebody to stretch the defense coming off the bench. Now, Pascal Siakam ain't going to happen because Pascal Siakam makes too much money. He's, he's a max player, and Toronto's trying to figure out what they are, especially with Scotty Barnes emerging the way he has uh, and, and no Kyle Lowry now. So it's Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi show. And of course, Scotty Barnes, who I think a lot of Bulls fans are looking at him like, ah, this is the guy that I wish Patrick Williams was. So I don't know if Kobe White is, is a trade chip. And of course, the, the market hasn't set itself yet. So Marvin Bagley, uh, underwhelming to say the least for as highly as he was drafted. And Sacramento, you, you can't really ever trust what happens with Sacramento because the infrastructure in that organization has been tilted the wrong way for you know, what a, a decade plus. Uh, so Marvin Bagley is an interesting name to be thrown around. I'd like the Bulls to get somebody with a little bit more veteran experience and also a little bit stronger, right? Marvin Bagley is a finesse for. They need some beef up front. Uh, if Tony Bradley's going to give you the minutes that he's given you over the last couple of games, you're fine with that. But they need a more dynamic player, especially in the front court. I just don't know if they're willing to risk Kobe White's future, especially what they need now in the present coming off the bench. What else we got, Tanny? Jason, Dave, calling from the suburbs over in Indiana. Man, I just moved. I got boxes everywhere. No idea where any of it's going to go. I got no cable. I got no internet. So I figured I'm going to listen to the podcast and trying to get back in the Bulls. Wanted to hear what happened the last few games because I couldn't watch them. And you're going to tell me the season's teetering already? <laughs> Jason, it has to, we're still in fall. We got winter for like the next eight months coming. The Blackhawks suck. The Bulls are, or the Bears aren't going to be any good unless Justin Fields can start playing defense too. This is the only team we're going to have for the winter. They're about to cancel the next White Sox season because of a strike. Please tell me you misspoke or, or you misunderstood or, or maybe Zach's about to get a hand transplant and his hand's going to be okay and they're going to be good. Please tell me, tell me that there's going to be something good to watch for the rest of this winter, because it's about to get real cold around here, and I need something to watch. <laughs> hey, man, go ahead and get unpacked as soon as you possibly can. I know moving sucks, so uh, do what you got to do there. But, yeah, I, I mentioned that the Bulls might be teetering, and teetering probably is too strong a word, but on the edge here, because Zach Levine's hand injury isn't going anywhere anytime soon. 
So that and, and Patrick Williams being out for the season, <clears throat> you were already small with Patrick Williams. He was going to play a lot of small ball five for you uh, in certain situations. And now that you don't have him, and depending on what's going to happen to Zach going forward, like I think Zach's going to thug it out and try to give you these heroic uh, performances in the fourth quarters. But there's there's a lot in question going forward. You know, it, it, these last couple of wins feel really good, right? You beat a Boston Celtic team with two of the better young players in the game. You beat a Utah Jazz team with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert in, in full health. No Mike Conley, but still, that's one of the better teams in the NBA. So those are two really good wins, I think, especially on the road against Boston. But that thing that you're about to head into now with the home and home against Philly and the Brooklyn Nets, and then you got the West Coast trip. I won't say teetering anymore maybe that was that was a little hyperbole but I, I do think that you're gonna find out the gauntlet is happening here and with a, a unhealthy Zach Levine and with no Patrick Williams you gotta have to dip into that rotation and, and these really really good teams and really really good coaching staffs are going to try to uh, highlight some of the weaknesses and some of the deficiencies of players they're going to play minutes that they wouldn't normally play if one, you had a healthier Zach and two, you had a, a, a available Patrick Williams. So maybe teetering was a little bit of hyperbole, but you're definitely going to find out here over the next week and a half, two weeks, what this team is. And hopefully they come out on top. Hopefully they, they go uh, above 500 on not just the road trip, but these next, uh, you know, a couple of games, especially against the Philadelphia 76ers. So didn't mean to alarm you brother, but, uh, the, the Blackhawks and the Bears and these other teams in the baseball season got nothing to do with the health of Zach and, of course, Patrick Williams. And I think that's why the season is a little, little rocky coming up here over the next 10, 14 days. It's the full goal. Coming up on the next episode of The Full Goal with Jason Goff. All right, that does it for episode 24. We'll be back Thursday night with all the latest from Hallis Hall, and we'll give you a Bears-Steelers preview, you know, to a heritage franchise in the NFL. Plus, the Bulls face a big test on the East Coast. They face Philly, and they get ready to face the Brooklyn Nets as well. So, as always, we love hearing from you. Make sure you hit us up on the full goal voicemail line at 773-359-3103. And thank you. To our producers, Steve Cerruti, Don't Call Me Steve, and Chris Tannehill, the madman of the sound. I don't know why I just dubbed them that. It just felt comfortable and good in that moment. I'm Jason Goff. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Full Gold Podcast with Jason Goff, brought to you by The Ringer and Spotify is the gang. As always, y'all, take care of each other and be safe. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>